You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll take a look at the white-collar biomedical crime podcast, The Dropout. Plus, we'll rewind the Ted Bundy tapes, Netflix's new docuseries featuring the charismatic serial killer in his own words. Joining me to get that done and a whole lot more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and our favorite certified cat lady, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello. Yeah, my cats, they have the spring fever. We've had two days of like 50 to 60 degree weather here. I went out to my car this morning. There is a big fat rat right next to my car. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Excuse me, a mouse. It wasn't a rat. But it scared me like it was a rat. And uh, I took a picture of it and someone said, you really should have outlined it with chalk when you took the picture. (laughs) Tape. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. And finally with us is our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the our novels known as the City Trilogy and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best I could do. That was very good. I now take you very seriously as the world's right. youngest self-made male billionaire. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> By my thing. Well, a couple of quick notes I want to bring up. I have decided what we're going to be discussing next week. Oh, you have? We're going to be discussing Conviction, the new podcast series from Gimlet. Okay. Which people say is really good. Laura Bricker's been listening to it, right, Laura? I have been. And you know what? By the time I finish, I will have dropped about 20 pounds from rage walking because it is so rage inducing to Ooh. listen to. I like those ones. Can't wait. I'm so sick of this bro bullshit. No, I never Toby. said it was bro bullshit. I have been like so him. misinterpreted. He listens to Phil Collins, Toby. People people <laughs> were jumping all over me and Kevin for not supporting you in your like bro criticism. Well, let's yeah, be real. Yeah, bros suck. <laughs> what, were we surprised that the two of you did not agree with Laura and I about what we heard? I mean, we're allowed to hear what we hear, right, guys? Uh, I don't know, Rebecca. You tell me what to say. But I will say he... <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, he's super macho, but you know what? It's like kind of like listening to a Robert Parker book come to life, like Spencer in the Bronx. All right. Can't yeah, wait. So you'll like it. Remember Spencer for Hire, the TV show, Kevin? Yeah, Robert Urich was so based good looking. On, isn't Urich. that based on Spencer? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, one other thing that I want to mention, we, Kevin Flynn and I, are moving our podcast, Married with Podcast, it is now available for those who support the show on Patreon. What? So if you want to hear, in addition to Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, if you want to hear Kevin and I get super personal, talk about our personal lives, and answer listener questions about marriage, work, kids, relationships... Life, sex, pets. Do we, we go there. We do. We go there. You can support the show on uh, patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And you will have access to our back catalog and our future catalog of Mary with podcast, which I'm sorry, Laura and Toby and Kevin sitting here right now. 
It's honestly my favorite thing that we make. I'm sorry, it just is. Okay, good night, everybody. It's basically therapy for me. Well, I have to say, I was so excited this week. I was like, wow, all these people are suddenly supporting Patreon to get in my rage walking group. And then I was like, oh no, they're not. I'm like like the, the ugly stepchild. They're no. just getting me as an extra bonus. And I was like, but I was like, why are all these people suddenly signing up? So I think a lot of people want to hear about your sex life. They do. I mean, they do. You know. There's not a lot of sex. We only had that one episode where we kind of went there. It was not yeah, sexy. Because that was the last time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was November, right? <laughs> it's around Thanksgiving. Uh, I remember it well. <laughs> Can I say one thing? Sure. We had a lot of sex. <laughs> we did. Do you think our and listeners need to know that? This is Married with Podcasts. They want to know yeah. about the married stuff. You and put it in. I got it in. <laughs> I don't want to say I got it in everywhere, but I did more than once. And uh, and look, let's 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 be real here. You know, when you are uh, you're not in your twenties and you're a couple, things get in the way, and you don't get like to your be big, intimate. Fat bellies. Yeah, big fat bellies. <laughs> so this is a podcast that previously had been available on Stitcher Premium. Correct. So what about our, our listeners who signed up for Stitcher Premium because they wanted to hear that podcast? If you signed up for Stitcher Premium only to hear Married with Podcast and you've recently renewed your Stitcher Premium <laughs> subscription, send us an email at marriedwithpodcast at gmail.com or crimewriterson at gmail.com. Just send me a note. I'll respond to it. We'll make it right. Yeah. But we also are still offering, uh, these are their stories. Yeah. There's still a, um, a benefit if you uh, subscribe to Stitcher Premium. These are their stories. Uh, will be available a week early and commercial free. Yep. And there just may be some additional Stitcher content Premium stuff coming. that uh, might be of interest to you. Plus, you get all you get access to all the other Stitcher Premium exclusive shows and extras and uh, all the other stuff that you've you've come to love from Stitcher Premium. That's right. So if you're still interested in, in uh, taking advantage of that service, you can go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime. Crime. Yes. And use the code crime and check out. Anyway. All right. So moving on. Kevin, let's start the show with a bang, shall we? Can you read this for me, please? True, True crime, crime podcast, podcast update. update. It's almost here, guys. After three long years, at least that I've known about this project, HBO has finally released the trailer for the long-awaited four-part documentary series based on the story Serial Season 1 brought our way. It's called The Case Against Adnan Syed. The series will air over four Sundays beginning March 10th. It's directed by Amy Berg, who was nominated for an Academy Award for the 2006 documentary Deliver Us from Evil about sex abuse in the Roman Catholic Church, and who also directed and co-wrote West of Memphis about the West Memphis Three. And the trailer for The Case Against Adnan Syed, it features some characters who are very familiar and some voices that have us guessing. When you are working on a case that you think is a wrongful conviction, you're only on one side, and that side is getting to the truth. 18-year-old Heyman Lee disappeared on January 13th. Police found her half-buried body. She had been strangled. The suspect is Adnan Musad Syed. It's our responsibility as investigators to consider other suspects. Adnan Syed heads back to court as questions about his case continue to surface. This is a piece of evidence that nobody even realized existed for all these years. I might have been the last person to see him. I'm telling you, that's what happened. I wish I never would have talked to y'all in the first place. 
Now, a press release for the series promises, quote, new discoveries, as well as groundbreaking revelations that challenge the state's case. Aided by exclusive access to Syed, the defense team, the Syed family, friends and teachers of Heyman Lee and Adnan Syed and members of the city of Baltimore law enforcement. So, Kevin, Sunday at 9 p.m., four weeks in a row. That is a pretty plum time slot for this show, don't you is think? Is that right before Game of Thrones? Uh-huh. It's yeah. airing in a spot, I think, that Game of Thrones will be in, right? Or is Game of Thrones on at 10? I think it's on at, no, it's usually on at 9. Right, right, so it's airing in the weeks leading up to Game of oh, Thrones. It's starting yeah. March 10th, uh-huh. and then the, for four weeks. Ah, and then winter is coming. <laughs> Got it, okay. Okay. That's appointment viewing, though. It's appointment viewing, and apparently it must be good, because I don't think HBO would put it in that spot if it weren't. I'm just guessing. Game of Chaudhry. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, is anybody surprised, Laura, you especially, to see in this trailer that there seems to be, I mean, I see guys drawing on a whiteboard, I see a shovel going into the ground, Yeah, I like some the new investigation part. going on here. Did you um, think there was going to be some aspect of new investigation, and do you think most importantly, we might finally hear about the damn bombshell in this documentary, whatever that might be. That's what I actually took from it. When I saw the digging and then when I was listening, I was like, you know what? Perhaps now we're finally going to know what's going on that's so exciting that actually might change this case. So, yeah, I was kind of surprised, I guess, to see another um, serial follow up about Adnan's case. But at the same time, once I was watching, you know, watching the trailer, I'm like, well, this this one looks like it's going to be pretty good. So I'm I'm kind of interested to see what they have to say. And I want to see what they're digging up. <laughs> I think, Literally. I mean, I have a guess. I don't think they're digging up Heyman Lee's grave. I think what they're digging up is the area where they found the car, right? That's what it looked like in the trailer. Like uh, they showed maybe. a picture of the car with the stuff on the tires, and it looked like they were. That's what, what it looked 20 like. Twenty years later, they're looking for what? I don't know. What do they? Yeah, I don't dig, dig, dig. know. All I know is that like I was not surprised to see this project coming because I remember back when I first started working with the Undisclosed team. I used to. I don't actually tape their show anymore, but I used to be present during their tapings. And I remember once in Robbie, she used to tape the show in a closet in her house. Not like this closet, Kevin, but like literally her clothing closet. And she was, I'll never forget this. She was sitting in her clothing closet and we were doing an audio check and she was having some mic issues. And I was like, okay, you want to unplug this cable and you want to try this and you want to try this. And she was like, oh, sorry. She's like, I'm sitting in my closet with some a cameraman from HBO right now. It's really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but we weren't allowed to talk about it back then, but I guess it's out now, so we can. So, Toby, are you excited to watch this documentary and perhaps, perhaps learn something that you didn't know? Maybe switch your position from being, which, by the way, established you as our resident cynic, Toby Ball, and come to the light side in the Anand Syed case? Think that could happen? Uh, to answer your first question, yes, I'm excited to watch it. And to answer your second question, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. He's got to watch it first. Right. Well, we will be talking about the documentary on this show. My guess we is- will? Yeah. And my guess is we're probably going to talk about it when it's done rather than week by week. But that's not 100% sure. Uh-huh. Um, just because the production schedule of this show, the way that it works, that just might that might work better for us. I haven't decided yet. Yeah, right, right. But uh, that's we're definitely going to be watching it and talking about it in case anyone's wondering. And if you have thoughts, feel free to send us an email at crimewriterson at gmail.com. I think it's really good because, you know, uh, we are not like the rest of the uh, serial listening audience. Okay. Because, you know, folks who are listening to our show and have been following Undisclosed, 
you have a much deeper understanding of the story and know more details, but so many millions of people listen to those 12 episodes of Serial, and that's the story and the case for them. Right. So they don't know anything about cell towers and time cards and all these other stuff. And and I think a lot of them will be, be drawn by this high-profile prestige television treatment of the case and may be exposed to stuff that we may not be surprised about at all because we already know about it because we have been following this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but f- will be, I think, eye-opening for a lot of folks who have not checked in with the Anand Syed case since the last episode of Serial. And then I think they, I'm hoping that they will also advance the story beyond, you know, what we know and our friends have been investigating. This is a whole other you know, investigative arm that, uh, you know, might be able to to come up with stuff. Yeah. And they have Jen Pusateri in the trailer, which means she's in the documentary. <gasps> she's a very intriguing that character. Was that who that story. was? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. Well, so we'll have to see. We don't know. We know these trailers. have done. Yes. And we know how yeah. these trailers get put together. We oh, know right, that yeah. some of the footage in the trailer might not even be in the documentary. Yeah. You never or know. we may not be able to hear it when we actually watch a show on HBO. So, <laughs> Sorry, this is my That's other right. rage-inducing moment of the week. I had to watch True Detective, the last one, two freaking times. And I still don't know what happened when <laughs> the two old guys are sitting there talking about the dogs and whatever the hell else they were talking about. So I hope they turn this one up. That's all I have to say, Rebecca. I have gotten so many tweets about that. People are like, I thought it was me. <laughs> My favorite thing was somebody was like, I thought I got a raw deal on this Bose soundbar, but it's actually just HBO. (laughs) So I'll repeat it again. HBO, before the Adnan Syed documentary airs, get your shit together when it comes to mixing audio. Please get your shit together. I'm sure yeah. they're. I mean, this is probably why I can't get screeners from HBO, right? Because they keep bitching yeah. about their sound. Yeah. Uh, actually, I don't it's, think it's that's horrible. It. <laughs> it's horrible. I think something really significant happened in True Detective last week, and I'm probably going to have to go read one of the recap like reviews to find out what it was because I still don't know what happened. But something, also, something really big matter. happened when they were talking. Like there was some dramatic. big revelation. Something happened. That's why that guy's drunk all the time. I don't know what it is though. Uh, <laughs> <Laura>. <laughs> you sound like an old person like the worst kind of old person i can't hear what they're saying <laughs> tell, tell me did you watch this week's episode we haven't you, had time you, yet we're watching the okay. body tapes well then you won't know because it was so infuriating because you finally know oh look here's his partner oh he's alive and he's living with all these dogs and he's drunk and oh but i don't know what else happened <laughs> well i guess we'll have to put the closed captioning on right if only yes. there were a way to read along with the video. <laughs> you shouldn't have to fucking do that with HBO. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on, let's get to our first review of the evening, shall we? Sure. For our first review of the show, we are talking about The Dropout, the podcast that focuses on the con perpetuated by the founder of a biotech company that made big promises around the business of blood tests. <clears throat> This is the testimony of Elizabeth Holmes going on the record in San Francisco, California at 9 o'clock. This is the story of the rise and fall of the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. Did it concern you that a number of tests weren't working on Theranos' devices? I, I, I know that we made mistakes. 
ABC Radio and ABC News Nightline definitely build the story of a massive bio med tech fraud in the dropout. And host Rebecca Jarvis paints a surprising portrait of former Theranos founder and self-made billionaire Elizabeth Holmes. Now, there's just a few episodes out of the dropout, but we will be discussing some plot points. So if you want to stay spoiler free for the dropout and just hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review, we will put a note in the show notes about where to go for that. The first thing I want to talk about, Kevin, is um, this is a podcast made by a TV network. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, well, also a radio network. Yes, but a, a, it's a news, news organization. Net, news organization it's that makes ABC, news a different way. It's ABC Radio and ABC News Nightline. Correct. And this is so, but we do even know from radio news, commercial radio news, that the sound is usually very different from what we're used to in narrative yeah, but, podcast uh, audio. Yeah, have a slightly different sensibility. That's than, right. Yeah. But this, hallelujah, actually sounds like a podcast made by podcast people, does it not? It does. It actually, some of it actually kind of sounds like a podcast made by television people, uh, which is not a knock. It sounds very good. I think I, what I hear is, you know, like when you have like multiple people being interviewed and you're sort of on location, I very much am hearing the audio track of, of some video. Right. And it makes sense if this is ABC News Nightline, uh, that there is probably some video companion to all of this. Uh, there's a lot of resources thrown at it. And knowing after having our discussion last week about the synergistic relationship between platforms, uh, that there's probably also you know going to be some TV special about this case. But- you know, the podcast side? Yeah. Solid. Yeah. The narrative is great. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Jarvis is a great host. And I am I just think that part of it, and I just want to say, like, after kind of dissing Bagman, which to me sounds like a poorly mixed version of the Rachel Maddow show, this sounds like a podcast. It made me very happy, and I'm enjoying listening to it on that front. Now, Toby, corporate fraud stories and true crime lovers, do you think the two mix? In this case, yes. Why is that? I, I guess there's enough sensation to it that I think you can be drawn into it without necessarily being all that interested in that kind of crime. You know, there's big personalities. You know, the con is just ridiculous. Mm. It's just so much bigger than life, you know. I'm sure there's going to be a great movie about this someday. I think there's a lot of sort of financial crime things that would not lend themselves to a good podcast, but I I think that the cast of characters here... And just the brazenness of what she was pulling off, I think, at least for me, I, I think it's yeah. it's really compelling. Some of the most like interesting stuff, you know, and I think the show just sets it up so well in terms of her image building, like her very intentional image building to perpetuate this fraud. fraud like the image is very important. But Rebecca Jarvis goes to Stanford where Elizabeth Holmes went to school and then famously dropped out, like following in the footsteps of other famous billionaire (laughs) entrepreneurs like Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. What was your first meeting with Elizabeth Holmes like? So Elizabeth was brought to me by a person who'd been the former president of Panasonic saying to me that she was this brilliant girl and she had this wonderful business idea. The idea was simply that she was going to make a microfluidic patch to sample blood to test for infectious organisms and then deliver antibiotics through the same microfluidic channels. Now, that's not possible because the antibiotics are not potent and I don't want to go into the details. But I kept saying to her, this, I'm sorry, that, that doesn't work. How did she respond to the criticism? Just kind of blinked her eyes and 
nodded and left. Laura, what did you think of these scenes at Stanford? You know, we hear the dean is the one who first tells us that Elizabeth Holmes changed her speaking voice. Oh, that was my favorite. <laughs> tell me tell me what you think about that setup and sort of hearing about what she used to be like versus what she was like when she became famous. She was really a master manipulator, in my opinion. And listening to this, it reminded me of it was like the tech biomedical version of like Dirty John Mm. or Dr. Death in terms of that type of person that managed to fool everybody around them. Um, But starting early, it was almost like she was like really creating and curating this image of who she was to the people around her. And now looking back, I mean, oh my God, when they ever said, and then people who knew her were like, that's not her real voice. I'm like, oh, now every time I hear her voice, I like want to scream because it's so fake. Now it sounds so fake. Right. Like, well, yeah, you know, we're, we're one small, no, no vials of blood here. Just one little prick. I'm like, shut up, you freaking fraud. But it was just, listen, to it, you know, really masterful in terms of the way and you have to wonder, did she believe what she was setting up or was she just so out of touch with her own abilities that she really thought this was something she was going to be able to do? Well, that is kind of a really interesting question and I think that it's revealing in some of those early Stanford scenes when she went to college, you know, she asked that dean like to be her mentor to whatever. Then she was like, "Nope, no, I'm uh-huh. not going to do that because you're not you're you're a kid, and the thing you're talking about won't work." That yeah. one professor, oh, yeah. And her solution was that stuff to, doesn't work that way. Yeah, and oh, her okay. solution was to go to a whole different professor, uh-huh. so so that he would give her what she wants. I introduced her to uh, a couple of venture capitalists that I felt would sit down and chat with her about her vision and her aspirations. So how did Elizabeth Holmes convince you to become a director? Didn't take much convincing. I was very intrigued by her vision and felt it would be a really interesting uh, proposition to to be engaged with. She asked me if I would be on her board and I said yes. So Channing Robertson, that second professor, Kevin, calls Holmes. He says she's like Da Vinci. And then he like puts his money and he joins the board of her company. And then we also kind of hear, you know, this whole idea, like all these Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates types. They made it so cool to like be a dropout that even academia is now like kind of buying into this. But she poached a lot of folks from, uh, you know, from Apple and, you know, she envisioned the company that she wanted and tried to set that up. The only problem is that the product that they had didn't work and... You know, they did not admit to that, did not try to, um, they pro- I'm sure they tried to improve it and tried to make it work, but they were never honest with investors or the public or their clients like Walgreens um, that they're getting a gazillion dollars from that this piece of science fiction doesn't work. She cared very much about what it looked like, though. She did care <laughs> what it looked like. Yeah. It's one of the UX to be good. The UX for the thing that didn't work. <laughs> I do want to get back to the voice thing for one second because... Um, I do think the way, Laura, I think you're right. The particular manner in which she changed her voice when you hear it and you know she's faking it is absurd. But women, especially like famous professional women, I mean, it's not uncommon for women to get voice coaching and to work on their voice. One of the most famous people to do so is Oprah Winfrey, who's Mm -hmm. talked many times Mm -hmm. about how she's lowered the register of her voice and she's really like dug into like this. I'm doing my like 
I'm not, it's not an Oprah impression. But when she talks about it, she talks about really sinking into the, but it's not the same as going, so anyway. <laughs> it's just not the same. It's a whole different kind of thing. It's like a disguise that she's putting on. It's really incredible. Because it's so fake sounding. Yes. When you When you know it's fake and then you listen to it, you're like, oh my God, how did nobody think this was off? Let me ask a little bit about you. Do you own a TV? No. Why not? <laughs> I work all the time. And I'm, I'm basically in the office from the time I wake up and then working until I go to sleep every day. Toby, what do you think about this image building storyline about Elizabeth Holmes? Well, I think like a lot of the stuff, you know, you wonder what was the initial intention? Did she actually think like she had this invention that was really going to work? And when did she realize that it wasn't going to work? And when did the fraud come in? Because the reason why that would be interesting to know for me is because this whole image building thing, again, seems to kind of kick into a different gear. They tell that story about how she used to wear like Christmas sweaters. Mm -hmm. And then somebody mentioned who, you know, the inspiration behind Steve Jobs wearing those ridiculous turtlenecks. And she had to go and get that designer stuff. You know, you get the sense that she had a pretty strong idea about what she basically wanted to be like. But then the point at which she started to sort of make shit up to make her seem that way. Mm. It was that connected to the, you know, device fraud or, or was that kind of a separate thing that uh, she was doing? Does, does that make sense? It, it makes sense. But she also used people to create the image. She had to talk about the four bodyguards that she walked around with. And then, of yeah, course, God. she installs that number two at the company, Sonny Balwani, who's also yeah. secretly her boyfriend and a super dick to everyone. And did he have any qualifications in the lab testing business? He did not. Or in pathology or anything like that? Not to my knowledge. So, Sonny begins showing up to work every day at Theranos. Like Elizabeth, Sonny had his own kind of uniform. A white button-down shirt, jeans, and expensive loafers. He always smelled of cologne and became known for his flashy tastes. And he's got two cars with vanity plates. <laughs> Douchey cars. Sonny drove two cars, both with vanity plates. A black Lamborghini with license Vita Vici, as in Vani Vidi Vici, a reference to Julius Caesar's I Came, I Saw, I Conquered and a Porsche 911 with plates that paid homage to Karl Marx's anti-capitalist manifesto, Das Kapital. He was a very striking figure around the office, but his presence confused a lot of employees, like Michael Craig, a senior software engineer. <clears throat> I always wondered why he was there. <laughs> you know, if she was actually had this, this, held this vision of really impacting the world, I was like, why did she pick him then? <laughs> Now, one of the things I was really interested in in this story, I'm super interested in like workplace stuff, especially that's a huge part of the national conversation right now. And they mention on the podcast about the company reviews on Glassdoor. So, of course, I got into this whole Glassdoor rabbit hole and started reading all these employee reviews. And it was like position, scientist, rating, one star, (laughs) reason, we're making stuff that doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) My boss is a bully. I'm afraid to come to work in the morning. Like all that stuff is there on Glassdoor, like from 2014, 2015, it's like, it's all there. You can read it. But we do hear, uh, Kevin, a one really tragic story about sort of the human cost of working in those conditions. I, I do think that people do tend to underestimate we know we talk about workplace bullying and like difficult but, but i think people really underestimate 
the impact it can have on a person's psyche when they are afraid at work every day or when they are just continuously beaten down at work every day. What did you think about that storyline about Ian, uh, the man who died by suicide after working for miserably for Elizabeth Holmes for so many years? Oh, it was very sad. It was very sad for his wife. It was so articulate and and brave in telling his story. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that is the sign of a shit heel. Yeah. Uh, You know, you want to be inspired by a boss, especially if this is somebody who's like, you know, has this vision and is leading a company. It's just not right to be bullied and to be, uh, you know, put down. I mean, especially it's because some of it is because of the uh, severe character flaws in leadership. But... It's also because they realize that these emperors have no clothes. This product doesn't work. And the people who understand that and could say that need to be neutralized mm. or they, they need to be contained. And so, you know, he was you know facing a deposition where, right, he either like narked out the company or he perjured himself. Right. And, and he needed to have a job. He was afraid of not having a job, which so many people right. I think could relate to. Right. Didn't he have an illness too? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the detail that stuck out at me was that after he died, the company didn't send any flowers. That's right. I mean, he'd been there like 10 years. Right. The only like correspondence that they received was a... Um, you know, essentially a threat letter. Now, Toby, we heard the other story from another former employee. By the way, these people wrote the most awesome resignation letters. Like, who hasn't wanted to do that at some point in their lives? Who, you know, a year or two after he left... When I quit this show, it's going to be fucking epic. (laughs) uh, Ran ran into Elizabeth Holmes at a drugstore of all places um, (laughs) while he's getting his... picking up his Vicodin after being hit by a car on his bike and he's battered and bruised and bloody. (laughs) You only need one blood drop, too, at that (laughs) Walgreens. And she's in line behind him and, like, just starts talking to him as if they just saw each other the week before being like, oh, you should really think about coming back to the company. (laughs) She probably said it like that, too. What did you think Sorry, about that story, Toby, out. and this sort, this sort of whole narrative about what it's like to work for a monster? You know, one of the things I, I thought about is that she behaves in a way that I think we're more used to hearing, like, asshole men behaving. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, one of the things that, like, might have made her interesting, I guess, is that it's this sort of attractive, sort of all-American-looking blonde woman who's just, like, a complete freaking tyrant Mm. there was a book called you know is is the ceo a sociopath or something like that and there the answer to that book was like uh a hell of a lot of them are and i think this is just like another case but a case writ large where you know her scam was like that much better that she was getting billions instead of millions well, just like one final thing I want to talk about about that persona, you know, in the podcast, we hear from her former employee and former Apple employee, Anna Ariola, who walked away from 15,000 Apple shares yeah. um, to go work for this company, which was all fake, about why it was she walked away from Apple to work at Theranos. We had a great conversation. It sounded like an incredibly compelling mission that was basically really thinking about the betterment of humanity. She's incredibly passionate. She's very energetic, very expressive with her hands, um, and has a very unique, distinctive voice that you just kind of get drawn into what it is that she's conveying, and her conviction and her belief really shines through. She really did believe she was changing the world, as did we. So, Laura, we hear there, uh, she's dynamic, Elizabeth Holmes. She's attractive, 
Mm-hmm. What role do you think Elizabeth Holmes' attractiveness plays in her ability to con so many smart people? Um, I hate to say this because you hate to admit something like this, but I think it played a role. I mean, you look at her aside from her like creepy voice thing that's going on and she's attractive. She seems earnest when you look at her. She seems enthusiastic. She seems very excited about what she's doing. And, and, you know, there is something to be said for that when you're looking for a job and you're looking for something that you want to get behind. If you get behind somebody that presents like that, you feel like you're getting on board with something that's going to change the world, which is how exactly how she was portraying herself. But, it, you know, she is she is cute. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't think that hurt the situation. I don't think it hurt either. All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's tell our audience, should they check out The Dropout, this podcast from ABC Radio and ABC News Nightline? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down so far for The Dropout? I'm going to say thumbs up. You know, I've seen some criticisms out there um, from people that say this is just so elementary. It's so basic. I can't believe it's not more detailed. I think those are people that have read the book and already done a lot of, you know, research or, you know, know about this case. I didn't really know that much about this case. So I find it really interesting. They've got really interesting people that they talked to that worked for her. So I would say take a listen. What about you, Toby Ball? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the dropout so far? Yeah, I mean, I'm basically with all the points Laura just made. I think it's really good. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't know much about it. So like Laura said, if you know a ton about it already, you may think that there's nothing new there. But uh, I, I think it's very interesting and well done. And uh, I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of it. Yeah, I'm also going to give it a thumbs up. I think it's just really beautifully put together. I'm enjoying the storytelling. One of the one thing that's really hard to do that I think people underestimate how hard it is to do is to explain science or to explain a financial fraud or to explain a crime like this. It's very different than explaining a stabbing. It's just extremely different. And this podcast does a very efficient job saying like, here's what the tech was supposed to do. Here's why that would matter to so many people. Here's why this was revolutionary. Here's why so many people were interested. Because you hear like, who cares about your type of blood test or whatever? But then you look at the healthcare market and you realize that like, Tens of millions of people are getting blood tests every day and care a whole lot about what that technology looks like and feels like and what that experience is. And the podcast just did a really wonderful job explaining that, a really wonderful job explaining the stakes. Uh, The character development was efficient, great, well-written. So I'm really enjoying it, and I do plan to continue listening after this thumbs-up preview. What about you, Kevin? I'm also a thumbs up. I like the way it's uh, it's put together. It's some solid journalism, but it also is an interesting narrative. It's told well. I'm always interested in a true crime podcast that either talks about a different kind of crime or talks about it in a different way. White collar crime, financial fraud. We don't get a lot of those kinds of podcasts. I mean, there was Ponzi Supernova, but you know, in this realm. You know, it reminds me a little bit of the social network. Yeah. Let's tell the story about this brand name that you knew something went wrong. I, like Laura, I didn't really, you know, follow a lot of this in the news at the time, so it's a news story to me. I think she makes a very good villain. You know, if you're wondering about like how did Elizabeth Holmes sort of become the person that she was, I think the problem is that she never got herself a FabFit fun box oh, to yeah. like really improve her her outlook on life. It would have changed everything. It would have changed everything. <laughs> really, it would Good have. Point. You know what? If she had done the under eye bag 
things that I did, this never would have happened. That's true. The 2019 FabFitFun Spring Box is on sale right now. FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box delivered four times a year with full-size beauty, fashion, home, fitness, and wellness products for just $49.99. Now, we all got the editor's box, oh, right? They do like these sort of special packed boxes. full of goodies. Right. You guys got your boxes recently, right? I did. As you recall last week when I was on my chocolate-covered espresso bean binge, I got some lovely little prep cups that came in my FabFitFun box. That's yes. right. Look, I got the FabFitFun box. The box right, itself right here. is so freaking cute. Right. I And I have recycled all those boxes. I'm using them in my Marie Kondo reorganization oh, of my house. What a right. good idea. They're really nice to look at. They're so cute. Right. People are like, what are in the box? Okay, for $49.99, what do I get? Well, you get... Stuff. Tons of stuff. Yep. Good stuff. But look, the value is about... Of the spring box, about three hundred and fifty dollars wow. worth of stuff. And like how do you know that? Well I have I have in the editor's box here, they actually send you a card with telling you like what it's what is in your box and listing the retail price so that you can see any one of these particular items here. You know, are, are worth the, the, the box here. What did we get? We got in this box, um, we got the summer and rose crossbody handbag. Yep. And beautiful little purse. Yeah. Uh, Clutch and strap, by the way, which I love. And a beautiful wallet. And those beautiful bowls, which, by the way, have come in very handy. You know what this box is? What? This box is like the showcase showdown on The Price is Right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You get it, and there's tons of stuff in it. That's what it's like. Yeah, so you got the wallet, the botanical hand cream that we got, the way of bubble mask. That was nice. Uplift essential oils, right? Yeah. The hydrogel eye mask. Well, I'll tell you, I used, they had these lovely, I think they were charcoal infused under eye bag sort of things. From black. I just sent you a picture. Um, Those things were awesome after like Super Bowl weekend. We're eating a bunch of crap food and drinking all weekend stuff that probably isn't super healthy. I looked awesome on Monday after wear. And they're so, they were comfortable to wear too. They were very, Relaxing. Kevin, the retail value of this box was almost four hundred dollars. Yeah, it's incredible. It's I, I really it I is really it. fun. It's fun to unbox. Yeah, so sign up today at fabfitfun.com and start getting the box for a life well lived. And of course, like once you uh, I'm gonna put this back, once you take everything out of the box, apparently according to Laura, it's perfect size for a cat to sleep in. It's a super cute it box. Yes, yeah. my cats love to play in it because the top comes down so they can play hide and seek with it. Yeah, I gotta. Put this away here. Hurry up, though. These boxes always sell out. If you use our code CRIME, Crime. you'll get $10 off your first box. That's CRIME for $10 off your first box. That's over $200 in retail value. Sound like over $300. That would be only $39.99 with wow. that, that, uh, it's a good deal. that promo code. Right. Go to fabfitfun.com and use our code CRIME, Crime. to get $10 off. What else you got, Kevin? Well, if you have a cold-blooded killer in your house... Like Laura Bricker does. Uh-huh. <laughs> that will just go out and, uh, you know, kill rodents, yeah. at, you know, with and not even care. With a plum. Yeah, with, like a boss. <laughs> <laughs> then you need the kind of kitty litter yes. that can keep up with your cats. Yeah, you do. Extremely busy lives. You know, the worst part. <laughs> cats extremely busy Oh, my God. Life. Cats are so busy, right? They're out there taking <laughs> they meetings. They are very, very busy They're in going my out life. to dinner. <laughs> yeah. 
Zelda had to go to the vet today. It was a very busy day for Zelda. It was actually, I was telling the vet today about the, the cat litter that we have because, you know, we have three cats. And so they, they want you to always like take a litter box sample. I'm like, well, how do you know which cat it comes from? Luckily, all my cats are healthy because the cat litter changes colors with this litter if there's something going wrong with them that you should tell the vet about. So um, that was one thing off the list. And we were in and out of the vet in like 10 minutes. Right. So depending on what color the kitty litter changes when when the urine is there, that can give you some indication about the cat's health. So you're right. So you knew going in, that was very likely this was going to be just a routine. But if, you know, something happened where, uh, you know, it got like a weird disease from killing that mouse, like hantavirus or <laughs> Ebola. Your you, cat litter would definitely change color. It would definitely change color. Ebola. <laughs> Yeah, it, Pretty Litter is great. It has next level odor protection and it uses these super absorbent crystals that actually trap and conceal the odor and moisture so there's no smell, there's no mess, no you know gross cleanup. And you know, this kitty litter gets shipped right to your door in a small, lightweight bag that lasts an entire month. Make the switch to Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code CRIME, crime. for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code CRIME for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code CRIME. CRIME. Moving on. Netflix continues its trend of bringing us murder and chill with conversations with a killer, the Ted Bundy tapes. Using present-day interviews, audio recordings, and a goldmine of archival video footage, acclaimed director Joe Berlinger lets much of the Bundy story get told in the notorious serial killer's own words. He didn't look like anybody's notion of somebody who would tear apart young girls. I've never spoken to anybody about this. I am looking for an opportunity to tell the story as best I can. person this type chooses his dick for a reason. Possession, control, violence. Now we are going to be discussing significant plot points in Confessions of a Killer, the Ted Bundy tape. So if you don't want to be spoiled, or if you just want to hear us give our thumbs up or thumbs down review right now, check out the time code listed in the show notes. Now, this project, as we learned initially in the first episode of this four-episode series called Handsome Devil, (laughs) (laughs) two journalists, reporter Stephen Michaud and Hugh Ainsworth, get a deal... Uh, through their publisher, through Stephen Michaud's publisher, to get the opportunity to speak exclusively with Ted Bundy in exchange for helping him prove his innocence in this case. (laughs) Uh, Laura Bricker, would you ever consider this deal even if you thought you might get a great book out of it? No, no. Well, I mean, if I thought it was somebody who was actually innocent, um, I don't think I would have actually thought Ted Bundy was innocent. So, yeah. And he scares the shit out of me, so I don't think I would have done it. Yeah. So, Kevin, um, the interesting thing about this series is, you know, we're sort of promised at the beginning this audio tape thing. Mm-hmm. And frankly, that worried me because I'm like, well, we can look at photographs while somebody's play, hitting play on a tape recorder. But the audio tape thing is just a setup because there's a whole lot of video mm-hmm. and a whole lot of 
awesome video in this documentary. What did you think of all these archival pieces of news footage, archival pieces of courtroom footage, you know, Ted Bundy walking around? You're able to see everything that they're talking about. Yeah, no expense was spared in uh, purchasing the rights to archival footage. Even like his uh, Republican activist days where he was accused of... (laughs) Some dirty trick, and there's an interview on a local TV station. I mean, it was like, wow, this was some fantastic finds for an archivist to pull up everything related to Ted Bundy. And uh, there was a lot of it. Yeah, I was kind of wondering whether or not, you know, we're going to have a lot of shots, close-ups of... Uh, the same photo over and over again? Well, Weird no. Weird reenactments? Uh, no, of, of like the uh, the capstan and the, and the cassette spinning and the pinch roller and all the, uh, you know, let's, like, let's look at every part of the cassette player. Is, <laughs> here goes the, you know, the counter going through and like we have to watch that forever. And there was, there was a little bit of that, but primarily, you know, what he was talking about, there was footage. And there was a couple of, you know, I mean, I, I don't think like the, you know, the the footage of the Boy Scouts marching and stuff was like his actual troop. But there was <laughs> there was a lot of stuff that was actually of him. So, you know, the problem that we sometimes run into and talk about is like, well, what is the B-roll you put on the screen, because it's TV, to hide all of the edits. As the glue to and paste ma- it together. And, yeah, and, and give you something for the eyes to go along with the story. This didn't have that problem because it had a wealth of archival film. Era appropriate. Even the stuff that wasn't talking about the Boy Scout troop, it was era appropriate footage of a Boy yeah, Scout yeah, troop. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. And even one of the things that struck me is even the present day two ways. They rented like a baller 1970s, like mid-century modern, appropriately furnished house. Uh-huh. They interviewed all the people in all the same setting. So even when they would go to one of those interviews, just because the way it was lit and because of like the wood paneling in the background and everything, like it was it was appropriate. It didn't pull you out of the story and be like, okay, we're in 2019 now. Just one follow up question quickly for you, Kevin. We see a lot of TV reporters doing live shots Mm -hmm. reporting in this. What do you think of the style of TV reporter in the 1970s versus what we're used to today? Good evening. Convicted Utah kidnapper Theodore Bundy has escaped, escaped from an Aspen, Colorado courtroom and remains at this hour the subject of a manhunt. Guards waited outside the room, but Bundy was alone inside when he decided to open that window and jump the 25 feet to the ground. In fact, you can still see the indentations in the grass here where he landed. From here, Theodore Bundy decided to head for the hills. I was thinking, nobody knows how to hold that microphone. Uh, <laughs> it's so earnest, though, it right? Is, it's so yeah. straight. It is. It is. You also have to remember that that was all that was shot on film, like in a canister, and had to be you know developed and uh, so cut with a knife. Yeah. So a lot of like, oh, you know, take three. Uh, like you couldn't really do that. You had to kind of like go with it. So you know, the, yeah, the different interviews and stuff. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of like, okay, I'm gonna cut around here and do this from the other side. So, you know, it was, it was really interesting to watch. I like the woman walking the street and saying, like, Ted Bundy, walk down this way. And then... You know, they still do it. They just, <laughs> they just have wireless microphones now, and they, there's a little more lipstick. There was one towards the end when I think the jury was out on one of its trials, and he's wearing, like, I think a tan leisure suit, and he's kind of, like, half perched on this, like, desk <laughs> At the in bar, the court. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I was like... It doesn't have the effect I think he was hoping to That's have. where yeah. Keith Morrison learned how to be a TV journalist was from lean. watching oh these guys, Leaning right? In. All the leaning. Yeah. I thought you were going to say watching Ted Bundy. No. Yeah. No, I love the pool room where, um, you know, all those folks were, I mean, that's sort of later on and this whole, you know, scrum of, uh, yeah. of reporters you got a from turn. different hours. Yeah, yeah. Ted Bundy has found guilty of all seven counts of the indictment. 
That includes three charges of attempted murder and two counts of first-degree murder, a crime that is a capital offense in the state of Florida, a crime for which... They had, like, one satellite truck, and that was a big deal, and everyone was going to have to feed... You know, it's like we have this window and like, you know, for 15 minutes, we got to feed all this stuff. And after that, we can't use the satellite anymore. And, you know, everyone's got to be ready to go. Otherwise, you won't be on in Albuquerque. It was a super interesting aspect of the documentary, seeing how journalism was done then. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. So, Toby, I don't know about you, but one of the things that this documentary showed me was how little I knew about this super famous and iconic serial killer story. For some reason, I thought I knew stuff about Ted Bundy. I didn't really know anything about Ted Bundy or the story of his murders, his M.O., all the wacky stuff that he did. I just knew that he was a handsome guy who killed a lot of people. Did you go into this knowing a lot or not a lot about Ted Bundy? And did you learn anything? I knew very little and I learned a lot. (laughs) And a couple episodes again, I was saying about how I like hate serial killer stuff. Which is still true, but I think this is just a really well done series, I think. And there's enough going on in the Bundy case that's not just kind of lurid and sad. I mean, there's plenty of that, too. His story and his sort of persona are more interesting than most of these types of things are. The way he escaped, mm-hmm. like the first time Twice, when they yeah. were in Utah <laughs> yeah. or Colorado, and he that was like basically up. people were just letting him walk around. So he's like, oh, I guess I'll jump out the window <laughs> and run into the woods. <laughs> and it was like it's the kind of thing that like a tenth grader would think of do. You know, <laughs> and he actually like got away with it. That's right. It's just For it's a insanity. Long time. So Toby, you're actually just speaking to something that I wanted to like ask you about also because you know when we talked about hating serial killers. You talked about like how they get glamorized and sort of. The serial killer story has led to like a bunch of really shitty books being written in the genre. And there has been criticism about the Bundy story, and especially about the fictional version of this story that the same director is making with Zac Efron starring oh, as Ted Bundy, which I have more hope for now after seeing this documentary. But the, the sort of critique of like, we're glamorizing this guy. We're making him seem like he's just handsome and charming and that, and that, and you know, he was able to charm people. And then I'm watching this and I'm like, but in this case, that's all fucking true. Well, I, you know, I think like uh, it's one of my few few criticisms of this is that I think early on they kind of make the point that he's got this reputation, but the reality is, is like, you know, he went to University of Puget Sound Law School, which, you know, I don't know anything about, but apparently it's not as good as University of Washington Law School, which is where he really wanted to go. And that some of this stuff... It's kind of overblown. And I think part of it, and some woman at the very end, like one of his little groupie watchers at the court, is like, that's he's not the kind of person you would expect to be a serial killer. And I, and I feel like some of it is like he's graded on the curve of like who other serial killers are who are more obviously uh, creeps, you know, socially impaired or, you know, low lives or whatever. Like, he's able to kind of present himself as relatively well-educated and he's not slovenly or, or anything like that. You know, that seems to be enough. But if, if it was more, you know, if he was actually like a poet or like some other kind of walk of life, I don't think he would seem as exceptional as he did as a killer. You know, we, we have this vision of serial killers as being sort of antisocial and kind of weird and withdrawn, but there is also the charismatic 
uh, killer or serial killer. When I was watching Bundy, I was taken aback at his resemblance to Charles Manson. You mean you know, crazy eyes? Well, he had the crazy eyes. Oh, maybe yeah, a little <laughs> bit. All right, but uh, but without the swastika tattoo and without the long hair, you know, if you think of like Jeffrey Dahmer and sort of his affect and that sort of like was oh serial killer, Bundy was you know charismatic in this way, and he was funny, but it's also awkward, right? And you can kind of tell, you know, knowing what you did, it would it would come out when he was frustrated. You could see that, but he he was actually really good at playing the part of it normal person, Mm. where a lot of serial killers cannot do that. Well, I want to actually play a tape that speaks to that. One of the craziest things that happens in this documentary is near the very end when he is convicted of multiple murders and the judge almost apologizes (laughs) to him for the kind of person he's become. This court, independent of, but in agreement with, the advisory sentence rendered by the jury that is hereby imposed the death penalty upon the defendant, Theodore Robert Bundy. Everybody Take care of yourself, you. young man. Thank you. All right, I'll say that to you sincerely. Take care of yourself. It's a tragedy for this court to see it's such a total waste, I think, of humanity that I've experienced in this court. You're a bright young man. You made a good lawyer. I'd love to have you practice in front of you, but you went another way, partner. Take care of yourself. I don't have any animosity. Now, Laura, you know, one of the things that strikes me as super interesting in this documentary, and they do a very good job illustrating it, they don't beat us over the head with it, but it just comes up over and over and over again, was the limitation on law enforcement uh, in in the 1970s. They had no Mm -hmm. tools, no communication, no databases, no fax machines. You know, it's it's one thing to say there were no computers. But they also couldn't even tell when somebody was carrying a fake driving license. There was no way for yeah. them to know whether driver's licenses were real or fake. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was no way for them to, like, even decide who was to blame when somebody escaped from jail twice. Like, what do, what do you think of that? Sort of that, that, that stark limitation we see on yeah. the ability of police to track people down and solve crimes. Yeah, that was really um, one of the things that jumped out at me as I was watching this was because I'm like, you know, in today's world, would this guy have even gotten as far as he did in terms of being able to kill as many people going undetected? No. But you're, you're watching this and it's like he's moving among states. The It seems like, you know, when you look at this, like the evening news is where people are actually getting their information. But they're not getting the evening news in different locations, you know, with that same news. So when he gets arrested in Florida, I just couldn't even believe he gives them a fake name and they have these stories in the newspaper and stories on the TV. Who is the mystery man? I was like, and I'm how like, is that news? Yeah. And I'm like, how does nobody know who the fucking mystery man is? He just escaped from this other courthouse and he's been running around and they're like, oh, we don't know who he is. Yeah, and I'm like, story. wow. I was like, that is just... Uh, you you know, so that was really, really interesting to watch that play out. Also very frustrating, but also at the same time, pretty amazing when you think about the fact that they actually did figure out who he was based on the lack of technology and lack of, you know, sort of modern investigative tools that it was, you know, his girlfriend that was like, you know, something seems the fact that based on what she said, based on what they were able to figure out with like credit card receipts where he was, that they were able to figure out that it was him, you know, based on, you know, even though they had no idea who he was when he was in Florida, that they were able to actually 
prove their case. That was amazing as well. Well, they were finally able to get around to opening the mail that had the wanted poster in it. And I love how they had they had the that they tacked up in the town square. Yeah, and it was like being the lookout for the post office. Yeah, well, they're like, oh shit, I recognize that guy. It was like being the lookout for these fingerprints. Yes. They had his photo and all his fingerprints. I'm like, yes. what are we supposed to do with this fingerprints? Exactly. The, f- the fingerprints were on the wanted poster. Yeah. Like, yeah, somebody walked by uh, a post and be like, that's the fingerprint I saw on the wanted poster. Mm. It was a little weird. But that yeah. fo- the array they did show of those like 16 photos of him or whatever, mm-hmm. he really does look very different with small changes to his appearance, parting his hair on the other side, uh-huh. or even just like a couple of days of stubble he made. He did do a very good job at altering his appearance without doing a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And guys usually can't do that. Women sometimes can do that, you know, very change of hairstyles and whatnot. But usually, you know, guys, you know, it's the same guy. He just has a beard. So I want to ask sort of a darker question. Yeah. So one of the things that struck me, because I just didn't know a lot about this case. First of all, it's fucking bananas that he killed all those women in Florida after escaping from jail in Colorado. I never knew that. I just thought Ted Bundy killed a bunch of people and then got arrested. I didn't realize he'd been arrested after kidnapping and killing people and then escaped and then killed a whole bunch escaped of other the second people. second time. Yeah. And you kind of really do hope then that that sheriff's office did actually fire that guy whose turn it was to watch him because, like, he actually went and killed more people. But the darker question I have, Kevin, is that, you know, we hear over and over and over again from profiler types about how serial killers develop a signature, an M.O., a this, or that. Ted Bundy had a very disorganized sort of pattern He'd pick people up on the beach. He tried to pick. He picked up two women on one day at mm-hmm. one point off that beach. He had this thing where he'd break into people's houses and like hit them with logs. This wasn't somebody who was doing things in a way that was clean and precise. Like his uh, killing of those two sorority women in Florida. Like he broke into that dorm and basically tried to kill every girl in the hallway. He stayed there a long time. He killed a twelve. That was the thing that really like struck me is that he was in that sorority. He had attack one woman. You know, rape and kill her and then move on to another one. He, he wasn't like, boom, in and out. He was there and, and then he, he went stayed, down the street uh, yeah. and attacked somebody else. Yeah. Like, that's weird, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not what that's not the story we're used to hearing. Right. Yeah. Because he breaks the mold, especially when he killed the, the little girl. Yeah. I was like, that doesn't even fit the pattern here. Like, what what is that about? Yeah. Um, and also like the, the multiples on the same day. I mean, the thing that we've learned from all the shitty true crime books that have been written about serial killers is that they kill and then days pass and then they feel the need again and they have Mm -hmm. to do it again. And it's like, oh, what do they always say in those terrible TV shows? He's escalating, right? (laughs) Like Ted Bundy did not escalate. He went out the gate doing 60, it seems, in his killing. Yet... He also had these weird long-term relationship with this girlfriend yeah. that he kept on the side. Mm-hmm. Laura, what would you yeah. feel? How would you feel if you uh, suspected that Ken <laughs> was secretly a serial killer and the police were describing him, and you were like, "That sounds an awful lot like Fireman Ken." <laughs> would you do what uh, his girlfriend did and call authorities and say you should look at Ken? He might be the serial killer. I probably would. And then I would call you guys at Partners in Crime Media and be like, let's make a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And I will wear, I'll wear a wire. Before you turn um, him in, take this tape you recorder. Know, but the, the girlfriend, the one that really got me like was like, okay, so I felt bad for her. was the first girlfriend, Liz. But then the one who goes to court that's his advocate and then marries him and then has sex with him somehow mysteriously in the jail and has a daughter. And they have this whole little family mm. thing going. I, like that was something I did not know about. Like, can you imagine being that poor child now? 
Yeah. Who's now, a, you know, an adult. But like, and that the guards were like, yeah, they knew we were having sex, but whatever. Like, I just can't imagine how that all went down. Toby, what did you think about how at the end of the documentary, they, I think, made a pretty good point in showing us the bloodlust that existed around Ted Bundy's eventual execution and the brutality of the method of execution of the electric chair. The documentary didn't shy away from that. And I don't think they invited us as the audience to feel that glee that some of the people in the documentary, even the present day interviewees, felt talking about this execution. There were thousands of people outside. You could hear them inside, even in the inner confines of the prison. Burn, Bundy, burn. Burn, Bundy, burn. And they were setting fireworks off. I looked at Ted, and I said, do you, you hear that out there? And he goes, they're crazy. He said, they're, they're, they think I'm crazy. Listen to all of them. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a death penalty opponent, sort of personally, but I do think it's a solemn thing, I think. You know, if the state's going to kill somebody, you know, regardless of what that person did, you know, it's not a party. So, and I think when they showed the witnesses coming out, it was that one uh, prosecutor who like comes out with his arms in the air. Yeah. And it's the kind of like growly, sort of pissed off prosecutor who they, they're talking to in, in present day. He's like, that guy was like a person-sized piece of garbage and <laughs> and all that stuff. And he was like, yeah, we tried him again. You know, he gets two death penalties. That's, you know, twice the chance that he doesn't get away. He doesn't weasel his way out or whatever it was he said. But he came out and I was just, I was like, you know, gloating about that just seems kind of unseemly, mm. like regardless of who the person is. Yeah. Uh, and I, I realized, you know, there, I'm sure there are people who will disagree. But the idea that there's like these frat boys drinking beers and like selling novelty T-shirts and stuff is, you know, this that does not speak well. There's a lot that's kind of incredible about the story. I mean, I just know that, you know, the thing that I want for my daughter is that for when she falls in love, that the man of her dreams proposes to her while she is on the stand mm. testifying <laughs> on his behalf in his second capital murder trial. Right. Yes. And, uh, you know, that was his way of what distracting the jury, making him see himself seem human. You can't execute me on my wedding day. That's right. It was really interesting to see him in court and to see him try and to see that judge to an extent fall for it a bunch of times like with the lighting in the cell and so forth like I can't read to study up on my case but then in the second trial none of that worked like it all fell flat like yeah. he tried to do the same thing again and just didn't work I have to say you know he carried that off uh, except for that one really disturbing part where he was having them recreate exactly all the horrible things that had happened to the body, he was a chameleon. I mean, he really did seem like a lawyer. Uh, he was good he at was, playing one. Like he was, play, he was yeah. like playing a TV lawyer, right? Yeah, I mean, oh, he that, was really, yeah. That woman lawyer, though, was just like, he was doing everything wrong. Right. She said everything that he was doing was like benefiting the prosecution. Right. But he looked good doing it. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, his uh, later, his post-conviction lawyer is trying to get him uh, his execution stayed by saying he had poor representation. That representation, of course, was himself. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which you have to wonder, like, was Ted on board? Or he probably would have been on board with anything at that point because he didn't mm -hmm. want to die. But, like, I bet he would have argued the point 
of him not being a great representative for himself. Would he have argued that well? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, isn't that the issue there? I don't know. I don't know. If he was a Nixon Republican, he was like campaign worker, right? That's another fact that we learn about him in the <laughs> documentary. And a Mormon. Yep, yep. We don't want to mess, we don't want to get our Mormon audience mad again. But Ted Bundy was in fact a Mormon. Okay. So let's do what we do. Let's give this Netflix four-part series Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes, the crime writers on treatment. Would you recommend our listeners check it out if they haven't yet? Thumbs up or thumbs down? What is your review, Lara Bricker? Um, you know, I'm going to go with thumbs up. It's a, it's a well done overview of the case. You've got really interesting tape of him actually talking. Lots of really interesting video um, from the time period. It's disturbing. Um, it's not an easy watch at times, but it, you know, it's four episodes. Um, I always say that when it's not too long. So you know what? It's worth watching if you're interested in the case. What about you, Toby? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix? I'll give it a thumbs up. I mean, I, I feel like that director could make a really good documentary about a hell of a lot of subjects. I mean, I just thought it was really and he has. well put together. <laughs> to be fair. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what his, I don't know his body of work. You know, th- there's a lot of stuff in this. I mean, it's, it's not quite at the, the, you know, that OJ Simpson documentary level. It is a, a portrait of a time as well as of Ted Bundy. And so, you know, despite my general distaste for serial killer stuff, I think this was, you know, I think this was a quality piece of work and I would recommend it. Yeah, I'm going to give it a big thumbs up. I really enjoyed it. And I will tell people if they start watching it and they and they feel like it's not going, you know, along quickly because of the audio tape portion and the interview with the one reporter, like, Stick with it, because there's a lot here that gets really interesting. I just want to point out one difference, because a couple weeks ago we were talking about that other Netflix documentary, Abducted in Plain Sight, Mm -hmm. and I made the point that, like, it's not an investigation, it's not a what happened, it's a here's what happened. That's what this is, too, except there's a lot more here, a lot more sources, multiple law enforcement sources in this documentary, Uh, reporters, you have people who are lawyers, people who are cops, you have the psychologist, the George Wong of the Ted Bundy story, to use an SVU reference, who interviewed him multiple times, who like gives his take. So much footage of Bundy himself, almost no filler. I just think this is really well done as a well, here's what happened documentary. I learned a ton, and that's what elevated it for me. So I'm giving it a big thumbs up. What about you, Kevin? I'm also a thumbs up. The name Ted Bundy uh, comes up on uh, a list of serial killers, but I have to admit, I didn't really know much about his background and about the nature of his crimes and his really interesting story. I mean, who knew that you could escape twice? (laughs) (laughs) From that jail in Colorado? Apparently you can. Yeah, uh, so... Uh, props to him, I guess. He was very charismatic, and I have to say, he was also, in a way, likable. Hmm. And that makes him a very compelling person, worthy of examination alone. But the idea that they have all of this film and these audio tapes of him speaking, um, you know, in his own words, uh, I think makes it a really good look at probably an underrepresented criminal figure in American history. You just said Ted Bundy was likable, and you've been giving me shit forever about saying Sheila from Wild Wild Country is actually likable. He killed like 30 people, Kevin. I know, but I'm not getting t-shirts that say Team Bundy. (laughs) Neither am I. Uh, 
<laughs> so I'm going to be a thumbs up on uh, the Ted Bundy tapes. Uh, you know, at the end, like after the execution, and yeah. that's not a spoiler. I mean, I think we already knew he was dead, right? Yeah. I mean, they were, you know, about to take him out. The body was like under that sheet. You know what I was thinking? No, I don't. Oh, God. I was just no. I, wondering to myself. Don't do it. Could it? Was it possible? What? Could that have been no. a Brooklyn and sheet? No, it could not have. It could, it could not, not have. have it could not have been a Brooklyn and sheet? It could not have been a Brooklyn and sheet. Okay. All right. Uh, in case you're joining us, this is Crime Writers On, and we're talking about our good friends over at Brooklyn and... You spent a third of your life by the way, on Jesus. They are our good friends, and let's hope they forgive us for that appalling <laughs> ad transition because they are one of our favorite sponsors on this show. That's what. That's why they love us. Our bad transitions. They, they were founded in 2014. Brooklinen is the fastest growing betting brand in the world. Wow. Uh, their mission is to make five-star hotel quality sheets that are affordable and easy to order, and they've got over 20 different colors and patterns that you can mix and match. I have to say, I'm not having a good time sleeping on my Brooklyn and sheets lately. No? Yes, because somebody in the house, and I'm just going to, I don't want to name names, <laughs> but somebody? she brings our dog in to the bed. That's right. And it's that time of year like where there's sand like outside, so uh, it's all everywhere. So there's sand all over our Brooklyn and sheets. Do That's, I bring him or oh does no. he just jump up like a goon? Oh, he jumps up. But nobody says you have to bring him under the duvet. And hold and him like a teddy bear? Yeah, hold him like a teddy bear True. so his paws are right on the Brooklyn and sheets. Yeah. Oh, um, no. So, yeah. So, fortunately, we have more than one pair of Brooklyn and sheets. So, we can, you know, again, have the luxury of the Brooklyn and sheets, which are the best sheets we've ever owned. They are. The dog is great, but please, our dog does not deserve Brooklyn and sheets. No? No. In fact, I'm starting to wonder if you do, Rebecca. <laughs> You don't know me at all. They're very comfortable on my broken leg, Kevin. Are you sure you want to give me crap? I have a broken leg. No, I guess not. I guess we're just a mess. <laughs> we are. We're a mess in bed. My Brooklyn and sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets that I've ever owned. And now it's time for your upgrade. Brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer. You get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code CRIMEWRITERS. CRIMEWRITERS. At Brooklinen.com. That's a new code. Brooklinen is so confident in their products that all of their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. I guess sand doesn't actually... Doesn't count. That's probably on me. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code CRIMEWRITERS, CRIMEWRITERS. at brooklinen.com. That's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code CRIMEWRITERS. Brooklinen, these really are the best, best sheets, sheets ever. Ever. What else you got, Kevin? Well, speaking of being cut off, uh, Amazon Prime Video and executive producer Jordan Peele. Please tell me this is not going to be about Lorena. Bring you the new docuseries, yes! Lorena. I'm actually really glad it is. I'm really excited for that. A Sundance official selection that shares Lorena Bobbitt's side of the story and investigates oh. the headlines and press coverage 25 years later. Do we have to explain who Lorena Bobbitt nope. is? Keep Does going. everybody no, know? But I'm, I'm all over this. I am fascinated by this case. So am I. I was living in Northern Virginia like when it happened. I think she was from Arlington. Wow. Did she throw the penis yeah. out on your lawn when she drove by? <laughs> yeah, and I packed it in ice. Just oh, God. <laughs> well, I think the case is super interesting because there's a whole new perspective on it now, given the way she was treated and given the way he was treated. And he was an, he was an abuser. Yes, he was I an mean, abuser. She that, was a that was victim. The whole, that was the whole deal. That was the whole deal. But, you know, I think we understand so much more of it now. Guilt or innocence would come down to whom the jurors would believe. Right. 
But what did he do to make her do something like that? It was a true battle of the sexes. What it meant in 1993 is not that different than what it means today in 2019. Beneath the tabloid headlines and talk show jokes was something far more complicated. A scandal you know, the story you don't. Watch this new four-part docuseries, Lorena. It comes out February 15th on Amazon Prime Video. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the Crime Crime of of the the Week. This week's Crime of the Week was submitted by listener Kevin Carroll uh, via Twitter. I believe this is Kevin's second time sending a winning pitch to our podcast. Congratulations, Kevin. Congratulations, Kevin. You've now officially become a producer on this stupid show. (laughs) It seemed like a scene from the worst rom-com ever. Passing motorists in York County, Pennsylvania, called the cops when they saw a man running across Route 30. He was being chased by a naked woman calling out, I love you, and I'm not crazy. (laughs) Police said 47-year-old Dante Hedgepath met up with high school sweetheart Carrie Sue Smith at the Super 8 Motel to get reacquainted. At some point, Carrie Sue began professing her love, saying she and Dante were going to have kids and start a life together. Troubled by her clinginess, Dante told the cops this, quote, freaked him out, and he left the room. Yeah, I would. Fueled by true love and cherry-flavored Grey Goose vodka, (laughs) Carrie Sue ran after him in nothing but blue socks. She said, quote, something inside me told me to go after him. <laughs> I'm just a girl. I think that something was a cherry-flavored Grey Goose vodka. <laughs> the pair face a variety of charges, including drug possession, public drunkenness, and indecent exposure. We can't offer Carrie Sue legal advice, but we're pretty confident saying he's not that into you. <laughs> so, panel, here is my question for you. What are you so passionate about in your life that you'd think nothing of going for a naked run to get it. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Oh, this is so easy. I bet you guys could answer it for me. My cats. Mm. Oh. I love you, Rocky. I'm not crazy, Rocky. Like if they were outside and a mighty mouse was trying to eat them, I would just run out there in my underwear and save them. Come back. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the white the white chocolate cranberry scones from the... Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be... <laughs> Underwear's not the point. <laughs> got to be full frontal. I, well, maybe the white... I, actually, the white chocolate raspberry scone, if there was one left, I might like wrestle for that too. All right, Toby Ball, what are you so passionate about in your life that you would think nothing of going for a naked run to get it? Do I get to wimp out of this like Lara and say I'd run out in my underwear? (laughs) No. (laughs) Cherry flavored Grey Goose Vodka. (laughs) (laughs) I go for the plain kind myself. What about you, Kevin? What are you so passionate about in your life that you think nothing of going out for a naked run to get it? You know, I got to tell you, dude, like when Tom Brady comes by with that Vince Lombardi trophy. <laughs> oh, I tell you, kid, I'm going right after him. I put my lips right on that trophy. I don't care. My winner can hang out. I don't care. I'm gonna, I'm so, I don't, you all can see it. I don't care. Me and Tom, we, you know, we're going to do this. Is it his cheat day? This cheat <laughs> Tom Brady and I, we're going to eat some avocado ice cream, have a walnut. It'd be great. He only eats that on his cheat day, Kevin. You get, on his cheat day, you can have four almonds. Giselle's like really great. But I don't care. I'll run right out. 
I'll show you my nutsack. I don't care. <laughs> All right. We should probably end it on that note, please. But before we do, Lar Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> Oh, so I was all ready to make Tracy Pfeiffer's neighborhood cat Mo cat of the week because he's orange and he got snip snipped this week. All right, so you're basically then- pointing out who the loser is. Sorry, Tracy. <laughs> you're a fucking loser. But then, See that rug you um, I want us all to send some good crime writers on vibes to one of our favorite Rage Walker group members, Angela Buster. Her poor, much loved dog, Philip has a condition called collapsing trachea. Oh. And it's ugh. as bad as it sounds. He survived heartworm treatment as well, and he's a rescue dog. His original owners loved him but were elderly and ended up in hospice and their garbage, ding, ding, quoting Patrick Hines' children, abandoned him in their backyard. So he's got a lovely home, but let's say some prayers for his collapsing trachea, this now, poor little dog. I will say I have corresponded with Angela a little bit in the last couple of weeks. She's really? having a hard time. Oh. Yes. She's one of her favorite listeners. She sent me an email yeah. and I emailed her back and she's wonderful. And yes. although I don't usually love dying or dead pets for cat of the week, <laughs> for this listener, I will make a hearty exception. Yes. All right, Laura Bricker. chase after the cat naked in blue socks? If people want to reach out to you, Laura Bricker, and pitch their living, healthy animals to be cat slash dog of the week for next week, only so that I can stop crying after we tape the show, how can they find you online? Specifically, how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and tell you that you should give me a break for wanting to sleep with the dog when I have a broken leg and I just want some damn comfort, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and, I don't know, also say they didn't know a whole lot about Ted Bundy before they watched the confession tapes. <laughs> how can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you strenuously to join the amazing community on our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, and yes, support this show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media, and you will get access to the Balls Deep Dive book club podcast and Laura Bricker's Rage Walking True Crime Fitness Fun Group and the spinoff show created by yours truly and Kevin Flynn called Married. Married with podcasts. With podcasts. Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement that Kevin has escaped from twice. Twice. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Toby Bulb, starting starting with you, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, Jesus. Uh, what did I have? I had like three bites of grape nuts before I had to run out the door. That's very small so bites. in Lowell. Oh, you, know? you were like a kid in a movie whose mother lays out a full breakfast with like eggs and pancakes and everything, and they just grab the toast and run out the door. Sorry, Mom, gotta go. <laughs> no, it wasn't anything like that. There was no big breakfast. <laughs> I just like grabbed the only thing that I could think of. And I ran out the door, and then I had this like half rotten banana and a cup of coffee oh. when I got to my meeting. Was there a milk Gross. in the grape nuts? Or you just put them in your hand and throw them back like nerds. Like nerds do? I had the same question. Oh no, yeah, no, I just. I, th- I washed them down with some water. Mm. Oh, God. That's just, fucking no, gross. No, I'm just Toby. joking. I put in milk. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Mm.
Partners in Crime Media. Media.